to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I am the Director of Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, we will introduce you to the new CEO of the National Rural Water Association, Matt Holmes. Matt, thank you for joining me on the McGuire Iron Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Exciting times at National Rural Water. Let's first uh, start by congratulations. Uh, You've been named the new CEO of uh, the National Rural Water Association. Uh, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Brian. I started with Rural Water Organization in 1999, doing wellhead protection for New Mexico Rural Water Association. Just out of the blue, answered a job ad, thought this was a a great opportunity and, and certainly grew from there. Uh, became the executive director of that state association and lo and behold, 20 years later, here I am at, at National Real Water. Uh, it's a fantastic organization. It's not about me. You know, this is, this is an organization where the work that our state associations do in the field each and every day, that's what makes the organization special. Talk about the hiring process a little bit. You were the deputy CEO, so what was that process like? Because you were kind of on the inside already. Yes, the the association has always been careful about uh, planning in for the future, planning for contingencies, and really Sam, the previous CEO, and actually Rob before him, uh, made sure to develop talent uh, that that could be presented to the board of directors, certainly it's their choice, but but to make the best options available for the board. Sam is great about that. He's a great teacher, and he, I, I think the entire organization kind of works together to make sure we're all pulling in the same direction. Now, talk about you've take, you took the reins here just a few short weeks ago. What, what kind of things are going on at National Rural Water, some of the initiatives? What, what were some of the things you walked into the hiring process saying, you know what, these are, this is where I see rural water going in the future? That's a good question because I think the, the time frame for strategic planning is, is shortening, right, because of the, the current situation dealing, that we're dealing with in America. But certainly just through my experience with rural water, you know, I do have a longer term vision for where the, where the association and, and the organization as a whole can go. Uh, you know, that kind of revolves around workforce development type issues, emergency response and recovery, and trying to bring some innovation into our sector carefully, because that's always been a challenge. So you touched on a little bit. I know you've got big grand plans for the National Rural Water Association, but it's hard to overlook right now where we are, like you said, in America, dealing with COVID-19. I talked to your predecessor, Sam Wade, two months ago as, you know, you guys were kind of in the beginning stages of this. How, how is rural water doing right now as it pertains to COVID-19? So we are... Uh in the process or we're in, a, in, in the mode of performing remote assistance for non-essential type activities across the country. And we've made that flexible. As you know, rural water state associations are an, an incredible network of these technical assistance specialists that work in the field. They're, they're an essential service. They've been declared an essential service by the United States government. Uh, supporting our members, water utilities, which are also provides essential services. 
So we have tried to, to make the maximum flexibility available for these workers to perform their, their duties uh, remotely if possible while keeping them healthy and keeping the systems healthy for the, the uh, minor and major emergencies that occur every day at, at uh, water utilities and wastewater systems across the country. And you mentioned it a little bit ago, you know, your members are vastly different depending on which state they're in. And so how, how is rural water helping each of these members that may have wildly different needs during COVID-19? That's where our state associations really shine because they're governed by the utilities in their state. They're, they're most connected and most able to, to meet those needs. The, and you touched on it, Brian. I mean, I think there's not a, a good appreciation to how how varied and different that water infrastructure is across the country. I think you understand it, and your company understands it, and probably the listeners understand it. But the general public does not really grasp the vastness of that infrastructure. Uh, it's a big country, <laughs> and water is difficult to move. It's not as easy to move as electricity you know, or anything remotely close to that. So that the infrastructure has to be varied in order to best meet the needs. And the, uh, the systems have a host of challenges right now because of COVID-19. Some have financial challenges due to customer non-payment, uh, due to the way society has changed the way that we work, recreate, and spend our money. Some systems are actually selling more water because of that. So the strength, I think, of our association is the, state, the states are nimble enough to be able to, to meet these needs on a system-by-system basis. What have you heard from the state associations and how are you helping them? Because, as you mentioned, the state associations are governed by the members in their states and, you know, kind of handle it on a local level. But what do they look for to national role water for leadership, for guidance, for help, those sort of things? They look to us to provide the kind of policy guidance I, I mentioned before for the direct assistance programs that we that we funnel through the states. And we, we've done that. A larger issue really is the advocacy in, in Congress for assistance that would benefit both the membership and the state associations. We're highly engaged in that as we speak. I mean, as soon as I get off this podcast, I will be uh, calling up to our DC office again and, uh, and having some further conversations. There's a lot of activity up there right now. A lot of it is, um, behind-the-scenes type activity and conversations in preparation for the, the potential next coronavirus relief bill or infrastructure bill, whatever that's going to look like. One thing we're doing for our state associations is we're advocating to make it clear that they, as nonprofits, all are eligible uh, under the Small Business Administration's relief activity. Some of them have suffered financial consequences due to cancellations of conferences and other training events where they derive a lot of their revenue, and, and that's been a hardship. Yeah. The conferences and the trainings and different things like that are, are the way that most rural waters, you know, bring in extra funds that help, you know, their operating budget. So that has definitely been difficult for them. And that impacts the whole industry. That impacts the consultants and the vendors and the manufacturers, as you know, and, and even systems that are 
that are trying to move projects forward right now and find that kind of technology. It, it's, it's concerning because projects that are in the pipeline and get stalled immediately start racking up costs, right? And there's, and there's, there's health consequences potentially for the customers, um, if not just financial consequences. So all of those are, are real concerns. And I do, I am proud of the industry as a whole that is pulling together to really address those concerns the best way that, uh, that we always have. <laughs> and you all are part of that as well. You know, thank you for your support and your, your, leadership even by putting out material such as this podcast yeah we're happy to do it and you know i think that's one thing that people don't realize is you know it's in your name but rural water it it, it's it's more difficult for your organization and your partner and member organizations because rural water generally just by its nature is rural and so that adds the challenges on top of what's already going on yes it's uh, Municipal systems and large urban areas have have challenges too. I think, you know, I there's been a lot of conversation about solving systems problems, small systems, viewing that as a problem that needs to be solved. I don't I don't think any of that is productive. We're everyone is just different, right? And and those are all essential needs. If we want to live in the kind of America where we can drive across the country and stop somewhere to local. Uh, grocery store, gas station, and, and have no qualms about your kids drinking the water there. We need to support rural infrastructure. You know that's that's just a fact of life. Uh, I think when you look at the big picture, the numbers of that we have in rural America is, is overwhelming uh, to people to get their minds around. There's 49,000 plus public water systems, uh, community water systems in the United States, and that seems like a big number to a lot of folks, but when you look at the area that they service, you know, if you, if you take all the urban areas in the United States and put them all together, that would cover the land area of Maine, New, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, kind of those northeast states, a little bit of New York. All of the rest of the country is rural. Yeah, right, <laughs> right? exactly. Right? So you can't make one system that serves the entire rest of the United States. It's not feasible. Right. So with all the challenges going on, let's look at some of the bright side stuff. What what has your organization learned during COVID-19 that maybe has fast-tracked some things or maybe had your organization thinking differently about the way you go about doing business? That's a good question. You know, the, the necessity to provide some training remotely has really been an eye-opener, I think, for state associations that... Um, the effect of how effective that can be. We have always said, and I, I believe this is true and will be true, it, the, the most effective way to, for most of our adult learners to, to process information is, is face-to-face, in-person type training. Um, but there's always been a resistance, I think, for our audience, um, water professionals, to, to utilize remote type training. And and when, when it's necessary, you know, it, especially for delivering specific information, you know, that, that has, been, has been successful. And it's also been efficient, saves some money, and saves people some time. So I think, I think there's, been a, there's been a motivation <laughs> that has allowed that to open up and to be considered by these, by these systems. And, and that's been embraced. That said, I think everybody would would much prefer now to be able to go to a conference and get back a little bit more 
uh, to normal and go to some face-to-face type activities as well. Well, and most of the public doesn't realize that water operators uh, throughout America have to have continuing education credits to stay certified to do the work they do. So it's not just learning because they want to learn more. It's because they have to stay current with all the, the new technology and all of the new information to continue to run water systems and stay stay accredited. It's such a challenge because regardless of the size system that, that you're operating and the resources that you have to, to provide that that essential service to the customers, you're, you're essentially beholden to the same regulations, whether you run a small mobile home park or you're running, you know, the city of Las Vegas. It's, it's a incredible uh, challenge for folks to stay current on all of these changing regulations, new technology, as you mentioned, as well as kind of innovation, innovative solutions to, to meet some of these challenges. Um, so, in, I'm proud of the industry that we've we've always been able to embrace these things and and folks in order to succeed really have to have that mentality where they they seek out information and they they uh, partner and they network with other folks and try to find the solutions to to difficult problem complex problems. You talked a little bit earlier about strategic planning looking different because of COVID-19. How are you helping? your state and member associations with their strategic planning and answering questions? Because I'm sure as any organization has a plan and a lot of people have uh, kind of ripped that one up and started all over with where we're at right now. Yes, I think the most important thing now has been to provide some steady leadership about the things that will not change uh, and give people at least some sense of, of the, the direction and the priorities that, that we'll, we're going to continue to work on, and, and we're doing that here. We're, we're, we're back in the office here. We have been for several weeks. We're fortunate to be in an area where we can do that, and that may change. But that has kind of allowed us to continue, you know, along the our pathways to, to implement things like um, the emergency response type activities that we're, we're trying to coordinate with the states. They're, they're really the leaders in that, the state associations are. So we're almost playing more of a, um, a liaison role between federal government agencies and, and them when they try to request or they request assistance and resources. Um, so that's one example to where we're, we're trying to maintain the track we were already on, but adapt to this new normal. And one of the things that, you know, is unfortunate, you mentioned earlier about the state associations having to cancel conferences, different things. Unfortunately, you were ha- you have made the decision to cancel the Water Pro Conference for this year that was going to be in Arizona. Our board made that decision based on obvious <laughs> concerns with that location and, and really probably anywhere it would have been held. Uh, it was just the right thing to do. And, you know, it wasn't happening until September. Do you guys have plans to provide pieces or parts or things virtually? Or are, are you just kind of worrying about helping these state associations out and reboot for next year? No, we are going to provide a virtual uh, uh, training, at least around about 20 uh, virtual training classes. And we'll be rolling that out next week. So we've been in the process of of the best way to do that, I, I have attended several virtual conferences. There's some major challenges with, with that, getting people's interest. Um, 
one thing we're considering doing is just putting those up for free right now. Uh, we we want to get the information out there, want to expose people to, to real water and the great network of vendors and, and sponsors that we have. We may ask them for a little bit of support. Um, we're trying to design those classes, again, to, to provide specific information, you know, that's really necessary and, and needed at this time. So really target those classes to to the hot topics and uh, the need-to-know type of things that, that will hopefully be worthwhile and be found to be worthwhile by the, by the uh, participants. One of the things that amazes me about the water industry is just how everyone pulls together and is, is helpful and trying to do the right thing. As the new CEO of Roll Water, what does that mean to you when you see your members and your state associations come together for, for really for the common good? Sam, previous CEO, told me when I took this job that state associations have never let him down when he's asked them for something that he needed. And I 100% found that to be true. And some of the things we ask are pretty heavy lifts, you know. And, uh, and when you're running a national effort, you know, sometimes there's there's a disconnect between our priorities and what we see as important reporting up to D.C. versus what you know people may feel is important day to day to them in the field. And, and you know, we recognize that. So the the communication, I think, is 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 open. You know, we have the kind of organization where people, if they see something that's not, uh, they perceive is not right or not correct, they pick up the phone and they, they can call the president and they can call me as a CEO and they, they let us know. And that's a good thing. Um, so I, it just means so much to me to be part of a, of a group that really involves the best people in the country. It's, it's people who have stood up to benefit their communities. They've answered the call with little recognition or no recognition, potentially a lot of a lot of headaches put on their plate, and they have they have made it happen. And that those are really the best people uh, that I could think to be associated with. Now, on a little lighter topic, we talked when we first got on the podcast about the future of national rural water. What are some of the initiatives outside of COVID-19 that are kind of your platform and the things you see where you want the organization to go during your tenure as CEO? For us, workforce development is, is a huge area. And really, that's driven by, I think, the need to get greater recognition, public recognition for the water professionals that make our water safe and clean water operators, if you will, that they are, you know, Brian, they're, they're under, they're, they're not recognized for the work they do. People assume water is water and they, they don't understand the complexity of treatment. Uh, wastewater is a whole different animal. That, that is a extremely uh, complex uh, requiring a lot of knowledge, specific knowledge that changes. You're, you're dealing with biological processes that can change. And sometimes who knows why it changed, you know. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for those water professionals in the field. We think they need to have a better architecture to help. It can't just be a PR type of campaign. We're trying to build career pathways into the profession. And I think we talked, or you talked with Sam a little bit last time about some of those. We're, we're trying to do a youth outreach type campaign to let young people know that this is a, a career, that they can make a difference in their community. 
It does involve technology. Uh, that can lead into something like our two-year apprenticeship program. And we're even looking to build stackable credentials on, on the end of that to give these folks the recognition that they, I feel, that they truly observe, uh, deserve now. So that's a, that's a big decade-long type effort. It's a, it's a big, bold idea. Uh, we have a lot of momentum already on it. You know, we have over 200 registered apprentices now across the country. And, and talking to systems, I, I just see that growing. Matt, thank you for taking the time to join us on the McGuire Iron Podcast. Brian, thank you so much. You guys be safe. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at mcguireiron.com, or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.